show where we go behind the curtain on the stars of the culture wars. I'm your host, Alexandra Marshall, and today we are joined by the atheist pastor. So welcome to Curtain Call. It is wonderful to have you here today. Normally you are the one interviewing me. Yeah, it's, it's actually nice to be on the um, on the other side of the uh, of the fence. It's uh, I guess the pressure's off me today. I think I think the pressure's off me. No, you're completely know. wrong. The pressure is going to be high up because we're going to talk about you because you are one of our stars of the culture wars and a star that perhaps this particular audience might not have come across. So you are the atheist pastor and you have your own uh, talk show on YouTube in which you interview other people. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself first so that this audience can get acquainted with you? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll give you the uh, the very short version because uh, I, don't, I don't want to put the audience to sleep. Um, I guess my, my background, I've always had a, a background in, in politics and, funnily enough, always had an interest in religion. I actually um, studied a Bachelor of Theology and Ministry um, with the intention of becoming a, a pastor and, and during that time deconverted to... Uh, well, I guess deconverted to atheism, for, for lack of a better term. Um, but my interest in politics, I guess, um, it never waned. The, the, I think there's a there's a, a, an impression that, um, I guess, amongst the atheist or the secular community, it's uh, it's, a, it's a bunch of, of hardcore lefties. And, and while I've certainly experienced that, um, I, I found there actually are a lot of people who are, I guess, um, are like-minded, I guess, you know, conservative uh minded um, but what I what I did discover was there wasn't really a place that those people could go uh, there wasn't really somewhere where everyone could just get together so I, I started my channel with with that in mind um, actually my first video I was ever ever did was um, you know uh, can can you be a conservative and an atheist and and it's sort of grown from there and um, I, I guess I do a, a bit of a mix of, of mainly community um, programming so it's a, it's a lot of stuff for the atheist community. I guess I'm using the, the skill set that I was ironically taught as I was learning or studying to become a pastor, um, I guess, to help people who are in the atheist community and, and are a little bit lost. Um, but certainly, um, you know, a, a big emphasis on people who are probably um, probably finding themselves uh, feeling a little bit alone in a, in a, a very politicised um, community. Well, I'm actually very excited to interview you because um, I am also a, an atheist and a conservative. Now, that's actually quite common in Australia. That's um, There are a yeah. lot of atheists who, they might not go around declaring themselves as being irreligious, but they are. Uh, and they also fall on the conservative side of politics. But over mm. in the US, and with the large market of people that I talk to on a regular basis, that is not the norm at all. If you are a conservative or even if you're a Democrat, you tend to be religious. So that community over yeah. there... Is quite small, and I, I'm sure that you've found the same thing in your travels online. Uh, look, it's um, the, the difference between, I guess. Um, well, well, look, I, I think conservative thought is always fairly similar. I think it's you know, I guess the the principles like you know, uh, freedom, freedom of speech, um, small government, you know, the, the core principles of, of conservatism, I think, are the same. But it's it's interesting how intertwined religion is in the U.S. political system on on both sides. I I, I don't think that anyone could possibly be an atheist in the United States and ever expect to win, um, certainly high office. Um, 
in Australia, I remember when, when I was studying, what they, what they told us in Bible college was around about 10% of people uh, in Australia are church-going Christians, and realistically, half of them are probably actually people who are engaging or believing and not just um, going through the process. So, so we are very much a secular country in, in Australia. Um, and that being said, we, we don't have any problems electing conservative governments or certainly um, right-leaning governments. So I, I think that does tell you that there is certainly within the secular community, there is certainly an appetite for, for, for right-wing thought um, and, and for conservative thought. Uh, it's just what, what I found is the left tends to be a little bit louder. Uh, they tend to scream. They tend to, and even not so much the majority of the left, but but a small minority of the left that seem to scream and um, give the impression that they're the the only voice, they're the uh, the, the majority. When when in, in fact they actually aren't. There is, you know, you don't see if if everyone voted along those lines, well, you'd have a Greens government in Australia with about ninety percent of the vote. Yes, well, there is a a large confusion between secular, which is what we are and Marxist, and I find that uh, when you're talking to a predominantly religious audience, they seem to confuse being a Marxist with being an atheist. And if you're not Christian, then therefore you must be a Marxist. Now, in my own personal experience, I went to a Christian school, uh, a private girls' school, so did uh, most of my friends who went to different private girls' schools. And the majority of those girls are still Christian. A lot of them go to church. Some of them are pastors with their, their pastor's wives, and they're raising kids in that community. And they're all Marxists. They might not describe themselves as Marxists, but they stand behind the Marxist causes. They go and protest on the streets. They uphold and defend all the Marxist philosophies on their social hmm. media accounts. And yep. they are religious. But all the people that I knew at school who were not religious, they are free market capitalists. They are in favour of free speech. And so my experience of reality as far as this Marxist community that we have growing in Australia is not that it is one of atheists. It seems to be one of predominantly, well, it's just a mix. It, like, it could be religious or irreligious, but it's definitely yeah. a mixed bag of um, religions and irreligions inside that cause. Do you find that as well, that it's not, you know, being an atheist doesn't mean that you're going to be a Marxist? Well, well it's funny because um, it's... Um... I don't know if I mentioned it. I didn't mention this earlier, but I was actually a candidate for the Liberal Party at the at the federal election uh, and and the New South Wales state election as well uh, in a, in a very safe Labor seat. So I was never never ever a chance of winning. But um, but when I when I was approached because I, I was approached out of the community because I I headed up um, local chambers of commerce and and had done you know, I, I I'm fairly active in in my community down south here. Um, and one of the things I was concerned about when when I was approached to to run was I said well. Just to let you know, you know, because I, I was known previously as someone who who was a, a Christian, obviously in the community, and I, I said, look, I'm I'm an atheist, you know, I, I, I and I'm I'm very strong on that. I, you know, I don't want to things things that where where religions involved, um, you know, I, I may not support certain issues. Um, and and I was it was almost like a, a bit of a, a slight chuckle, and, and it was a that'll be all right. And what I actually found was the majority of people I was dealing with, um, you know, there was there was they were either nominal Christians or they were just completely non non-religious like myself. So 
it's it's interesting, but then it's it's, it's also interesting you said about the left because if you have a look at the uh, the left, there's certainly been a bit of a a change in the demographic of of who the left is, and and I think even who who's supporting the right, um, and I think uh, you know it's uh, the seat of Warringah is a classic example of that. I mean that's Zali Stegel's, um, you know, probably one of the the most left wing candidates that you could have outside the Greens party. And, um, you know, the people of Warringah who have traditionally supported, you know, Tony Abbott um, ha have elected her. And I think that shows that there is a, a shift in the demographics. So I think a lot of the, I guess, well, they call them the doctor's wives, but I think a lot of those people who are traditionally Christian, traditionally going to churches, um, they are, their, their viewpoint is shifting a lot more to the left. Um, I, I remember even one of the churches I went to, uh, one of the pastors, he was a, like a full-blown green supporting um, left-wing activist. Um, you know, that was his, that's what he was doing Monday to Saturday. And then on a Sunday, he was putting his hands in the air and, and he was a youth pastor. So, which, which was concerning, he was a youth pastor at the same time with those views. But um, it, it's, it's, it's a funny, it's a funny perception. And I think the atheist community allows that perception to happen because a lot of the people who are in senior roles within the atheist community, um, they, they don't treat the positions with respect they don't i think any position that you hold where it's in a you're representing a community you have to be apolitical you can't um you can't get behind a candidate and i either way i know that certainly when i was involved with the the business chamber movement even though i you know unashamedly a member of the liberal party um i absolutely had to keep neutral because I had to work with members of the Labor Party. You know, I had to occasionally have meetings with, with even, even the Greens to try and get things done. Uh, and, and I think within the atheist community, there is that lack of professionalism within, not, not all, but some of the organisations where um, I, I think especially over the last few months, the entire atheist cause has been dedicated more to getting rid of Donald Trump and talking about, in Australia, talking about how bad Scott Morrison is rather than actually confronting issues that the secular community um, might find important. Well, that that would be because let's not forget that the atheist community isn't exactly an organised group. It's not. It's not like the atheists go and text each other every weekend and go, "We're going to get together." Most atheists never engage themselves with other atheists in a community. It's sort of no. I know for the most of the people I have met who are atheists, they don't even talk about it. It's not. They don't even form uh, conversations with their friends. It's never a consideration in their life. It's just something that they are, but it's not part of their politics, they're far more likely to say I'm a liberal or I'm yeah. a member of the Nats party than I'm an atheist because it's sort of, for most of Australia's history, it hasn't been that important in the last 50 years. It's not like you have to go to church or if you don't, then you're going to get excluded yeah. from these things. Even to send your kids to a private school, which is religious, they don't they don't really care, <laughs> you know, as long as you pay. No, well, school, I'm, I'm, they have I'm no interest. At, um... so yeah, I was going to say I'm actually looking at high schools. My my oldest is in the fifth grade, and we're we're looking at high schools for her at the moment. And one that we're actually considering and we'll probably send it to is is a Catholic girls' school. Um, and I don't come from a Catholic background, but as far as the education that it looks like they offer, um, it's good. And 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 you know, I, I say that as you know, I'm I'm a staunch atheist in, in my personal views. Um, but but by the same time, I, I have no problems with with my daughter learning about you know world religions, um, you, know, you know, Catholicism, Christianity. I mean, it is a part of our society and it has been a part of our society. And, and I think it's important that we don't forget that, it, you know, the role that 
religion has played, I guess, not only in Australia, but but in, in Western civilization and Eastern civilization, you know, all throughout the world, um, it, you're pretty hard pressed to find somewhere that hasn't had an impact because, you know, be it, be it good or bad, but I, I think mostly good um, from religion. You know, I, I think it's very easy to forget that. Absolutely. The study of religion is fascinating and it is a part of human culture. I know personally as a writer, I find the evolution of the stories of how humans developed and changed religion over times and areas. I find that personally fascinating. Um, and in school, in religious schools, if you're not religious in Australia, for those who don't know overseas, basically they stick you in one class together and uh, they don't really expect you to pay attention in that class. But as long as you attend it, they're, they're okay with that. They're more worried about whether or not you you do well in maths, English, and science. Funnily enough, one of the, one of the things I used to do was actually uh, teach a scripture class, and because I because I'd studied it, and you know, it's I mean, I'm, I'm actually at the moment um, when, when I'm not running my businesses, I'm actually studying history with the plans of doing a PhD in, in history, in particular Australian history. Um, so I've always had that sort of that background and looking at, uh, I guess, you know, more of the when I was in the Christian world, the apologetic side of things. So what they used to do was there was a selective public school, like public high school that, that uh, I used to do scripture at, and they graded the kids between one and five, one being they're a, a full-blown going to church, hands in the air, they love Jesus, to five, this is this is all garbage, my parents are making me go to this and I just want to sit here and argue with you. I always got the, the fifth one. So I always, uh, it was funny. I, I always, I always got those ones. And uh, I always used to think, why, why don't you just go to, to non-religion or something? But, but it was always a lot of fun. And, and, and the irony is, you know, I spent years trying to convert those kids and now here I am as the atheist pastor. Was there, was there a category for people like me who were actively going out of the way to write brilliant essays that got full marks disproving it? Was there a category for just the petulant kids? Uh, you, you would have been in my class, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You would have absolutely been in my class. Would have been me. Uh, <laughs> no, so to bring it back to the um, the culture wars itself. So we've established really that, and in reality in Australia, most atheists, uh, like ninety percent of them, don't talk about it. They're families and kids, and and, mm -hmm. and business people, and a lot of them are liberals, a lot of the conservatives. But we seem to have our conversation and our perception dominated by a narrow band of loud left-wing Marxists, and that's just because they are the loudest about everything. The same thing happened to the conversation about women where our rights and desires and needs are controlled by this tiny Me Too movement. So if you want to try and work out how that sort of thing can happen and how a group can be defined by a minority, it's exactly the same thing that happened to women, same for people they did it to the atheist community. Hmm. Um, so but but, that but that's, well, that's 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 the method that they take, though. I mean, that's that's the Marxist method. What they do is they find these these causes where they think there's a minority. I mean, it's it's every, every time there's a protest for something, you see some some clown with a socialist alliance and a, and a, and a green thing. They'll they'll protest anything. It's but what they do is they they infiltrate a, a very small portion of a community and and. I guess the atheist community is an example and, and probably the LGBT community is another example where they, they made out as if, um, you know, everyone became an ally all of a sudden. You know, it's the atheist community became an ally to the LGBT community, uh, you know, also an ally to, to this community. That We're, you know, allied apparently to, you know, extreme climate change, you know, to, to anti-capitalism. But that's what they do. What they do is they infiltrate and take control of a lot of these organisations, scream as if they're the representatives of those organisations and then ally with everyone in, in the atheist community at the moment there's and, and this is something that absolutely baffles me um and it's, it's something happening in the us the atheist community is allied with the polytheist community 
So the people who believe in Zeus and and all because they have a a, a mutual dislike for Donald Trump. So because and, and it's it's completely political. And and I've sat there and said, why why are we having it's as far as I'm concerned, a, a religious view is a religious view. I mean, as an atheist, you know, I, I don't differentiate. Well, I, I say I don't differentiate between say Christianity and and polytheism, but I, I think I can understand why people culturally will will follow. Um, Christianity, or you know, depending on where they were born, as a religion, I think. I think when people are, uh, are saying that they believe in in Zeus, I, I usually just think it's a bit of a an attention seeking thing because I don't think seriously anyone could say that that Zeus or Thor or or any Unless of the, it was the ancient two thousand years ago, in, in which case it was deadly serious. Absolutely, two thousand years ago, that's fine. But in in modern society, no, it's 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 a ridiculous thought. But you know, it's so. Uh, but I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you know. For an atheist, I mean, the polytheists believe in more gods than than the Christian community or the you know, the Muslim community. Or why are we suddenly allied with them? It makes absolutely no sense. But the reason that we're allied with them is because a small group that have infiltrated that really don't care about atheist or, or secular issues at all, but are essentially Marxist, are basically yeah, taking control. Find, you're not going to find these group of people just so that our viewers know. These aren't the people that you're going to see down listening to an atheist convention having chats about theology or they're just the same group of Marxist kids who hate the world, want to protest everything, and so they just throw that into the mix. Now, I don't know about you, but I uh, often have online the most uh, interesting and kind of hilarious problem where I get an attack from the left. The first they start with is, oh, you're a Bible basher if I'm talking about politics, not realising, of course, that I'm not religious at all in the first place. Um, so they get stopped in their tracks. If you come up and you're a conservative and you're an atheist, then a lot of the left don't know what to do with you because you hold some of their views but not all of their views. So there's no nuance in the left as far as people having different political opinions. Hmm. It, it has been interesting, though. Sometimes I get unfollowed by Christians if they find out that I'm uh, an atheist, although that's not happening so much anymore. So now I think we're like, this is my whole goal of the culture wars is to try and explain to conservatives that we have a huge problem coming up and that is Marxism and the rise of Marxism. And they are a dangerous political religion. So Marxism, it, it tries to use its leaders to replace um, other philosophies inside its organization. And it, it requires its followers to be devout and to place the Marxist political cause above their own family. That's why they take people's exactly. children and try and educate them. They see you as uh, it's almost a cult. Um, and so political religions, not all politics are religious, but Marxism and communism is very much a political religion. You can see it with the worship of North Korean leaders. They actually worship as gods. Xi Jinping is basically worshipped as a god um, when they're raising children in the schools there and you demand absolute subservience. So with... Uh, with a, a person who's an atheist online, it's very difficult for um, both the left and the right to separate the idea of religion and politics. And so my goal is to explain to Christians that we're all on the same side uh, and not to prejudge someone who is who doesn't have a religion as also being somehow a political Marxist because they're so different. Um, and if we start isolating and dividing this community up and attacking each other, we're going to be basically conquered by this political nightmare of Marxism. Do you sort of experience Absolutely. the same thing and have the same fears? Look, see, I've had some mixed experiences. I, I guess um, one thing I like doing, and, and 
it's always been something I've, I've enjoyed is I, I like having conversations with people who think differently to, to the way I do um, because I, I like to understand, you know, even it's, it doesn't have to be a debate or it doesn't have to be, you know, everyone agreeing at the end, but I just like to to be able to understand where the other side comes from. And, and I think through what I've been doing, um, because, I mean, look, the majority of my audience is left, um, but I've been able to have some interesting conversations and I think I've been able to change the perception of what a conservative is because we're, we're so demonised in, in the Twitter world. You know, it's, you know, we're all all far right-leaning fascists, you know, if you don't support Bernie Sanders, essentially. Um, but as, I guess as far as... Um, I've had some interesting interactions within, I guess, the the Christian um, community. It's there, there is often a, a bit of a shock when people discover that I, I hold conservative values. Um, you know, it's I, I'll normally get uh, you, you get attacked for being a um, you know a Bible basher, whereas they uh, call me you know a, a far left communist just just by the virtue of the fact that I'm I'm not religious, which couldn't be further from the truth you know I'm, I'm i'm a very loud and proud um conservative and and i'm i'm very open about being a, a conservative so there's generally a lot of surprise and, and a bit of confusion especially when it comes to people in the united states um but I, I, some of the conversations i've had yeah look there's interesting conversations I, I guess some people just automatically make assumptions and and try and shut me down um but then some people some people will listen i mean it's um Leaving religion, I guess, probably gave me a few, I guess, scars. Um, when, when I left, it wasn't a particularly nice experience. And, and in particular, there was a, a lot of people who probably didn't treat me particularly kindly on, on the way out. Um, so I guess there was a little bit of a period where I, I, I was what you'd call an angry atheist. Um, but I think in general, when you have the conversations with most people who are Christian, they understand. Uh, a lot of people will try and convert me back, um, which I've sort of. I'm not real. I mean, I, I love having theological conversations, but but it's just it's that's not how you engage with an atheist. I mean, it's a good friend of mine. He's um, he's Christian, and he's he's been through a lot of journeys with me. He's very much on this political spectrum. The, the same, you know probably a little bit to the right of me, actually. But, um, you know, and we, we used to do a lot of things back in the day. It's um, I, I was actually, and this is going back, it feels like a lifetime ago, but 10 years ago I was a member of the Christian Democrats, um, you know, and, and me and this friend, we recorded a series of interviews with Fred Nile um, and we did a lot within within that group. He actually, I think he did the original design for the, the Canberra Declaration website. I think he put that together. He, you know, it, so we, we did a lot of things like that. And... It's funny because I still have some really good conversations with this guy, but it's never about religion. He's he's always just maintained that friendship. And and recently, he, um, because I'm I'm looking to to put a website together for for what I do, and I'd sort of mentioned that to him, and and asked him for anyone he could recommend, thinking that being as um, devout a Christian as as he was, he wouldn't want to do anything, yeah, you know, I guess like that. Um, but he actually offered to do the whole thing for free. Because he said, as a friend, and he's, he still believes that at some point I'll I'll come back to religion. But um, but there, there has been a lot of kindness and compassion in the Christian community, I guess, and that's that's one of the examples that I've seen. That's probably softened my heart a little bit towards um, Christianity in general, and I think, and also the the realization that hey, at one point I used to be the the person who was insanely religious. Um, so so I guess it's once people realize that. Um, this, is, this has been a really long roundabout answer, sorry. Once people realise that um, I'm not this 
loud, I hate all religion kind of atheists wanting to, you know, denounce capitalism and, you know, destroy their, their right to, you know, the Christian's right to assemble. Um, we can generally have some productive conversations. And, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's, that's I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that most of the atheists that I've run into, um, they actually want to preserve the culture and traditions uh, of our uh, Christian heritage. They're the ones, they'll go and sing carols at candlelight. They're, they'll always engage and they love Christmas and, and Easter, although our family hmm. do do a little bit of pagan um, uh, bonfire stuff because we're on a farm. But we still um, completely support people's right to assembly and religion. And, you know, we believe faith is an important part of other people's lives, not ours in particular. But so long as uh, religious belief doesn't impact the laws of our country or start um, preventing people from having liberty, then we're perfectly fine with it. And that's the that's the majority opinion that I come across uh, in Australia, that uh, we actually support religious communities. And that's why I'm so passionate about making sure Christian Porter doesn't pass his religious discrimination laws, because they actually discriminate against religious and irreligious people. That's why I fight against it, because it takes... Yeah, um, so right I, I, I've got a slightly different opinion on that, but I, I know that's still a work in progress. Um, and, and I guess yeah, it'll, I'll, be, I'll be interested to, to see the final draft. Um, but look... See, I hold a slightly different. I don't necessarily know if it's, and I often hear that you know we, you know, Australia is formed on Judeo-Christian values. I, I think it's more formed on on Western values, and I, I just think that Christianity is being a part of it. We're yeah. very much part of the old, the old um, uh, liberty ideas that have come from mostly our wars to survive all the invaders mm. that came into England. That's where a lot of our, our ideas of liberty actually come yeah, from. They don't come from religion; they come from trying to survive this melting pot of armies that were all coming into Europe and all these different um, people yeah. trying to survive. And a lot of people don't Absolutely. understand that that's actually the heart of English liberty. It's not, it's not. And, and even, liberty. even prior to that, you, you can go back, you can go back further to, um, to, to Greek democracy and, and it's similar things. You know, they were always warding off the invaders, you know, whether, whether it was the, you know, Athens is a great example, you know, it's, they, they were always fighting the Persians or the Spartans or, or a, a number of, a number of groups, but they, and that's where they're, I think that's where our society initially evolved from, and obviously, is that that culture sort of spread throughout Europe. And I think that's sort of it's, it's, I guess, for lack of a better term, it's evolved to to where it is today. And I, I certainly think that that Christianity has played a part in that. I, I think that um, it's interesting you mentioned um, pagan traditions. I think a lot of the the Christian, the traditional Christmas traditions, there, there's a lot of um, pagan influence in that i mean things like the christmas tree i mean that's originally a, a pagan fertility uh ritual that, that was held no, on the on the winter solstice easter is the pagan fertility event and like we all know that yeah. when, when a religion comes into an area it uses the hmm. same um celebration dates in order to make the transfer of power easier for the yeah. people. And, and, and a lot, a lot of the time that, that's also um just by virtue of the fact that it's when the seasons change. That's uh, one, one thing that humanity tended to do when the seasons change. So so Christmas is on the, the winter solstice, for instance. So, yeah, that's, that's a big seasonal um, ceremony that was, was held in a number of different cultures, I mean, throughout the world, but in particular in, in Western society. So it, it's, it was, it's very easy to, I guess, transplant things from one to the other. I mean, even if you have a look at, say, a place like um, Mexico, where they, they do things like the, uh, the Day of the Dead, um, that's certainly not um, a, a Christian tradition by by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's very much got its roots in in other religions, but it's it's very much a part of of the culture there. And and 
as is Catholicism in in yeah, Mexico. Yeah, they had right? to meld Catholicism into yeah. their into their old religion. It was a yeah. that's probably one of the best examples of literally a copy paste. Let's hope that works. Um, yeah, but it, and and, really, and seemingly it does. It, it does, it does. Um, but it's a it's a brilliant um, the story of religion is a brilliant story. But we're getting away slightly from um, yeah. the culture wars, which is what we find ourselves in now. Um, and so my my point in process is you're doing uh, the almost the other side of what I'm doing, or I'm sort of an atheist in a Christian community and you're um, an atheist in a Marxist sort of far left community trying to be the conservative over there. Um, do you see any hope that that left wing community can become uh, less hostile toward conservatives when they understand that uh, you hold similar views in some respects to them, even if you don't hold all of their views? Or do you think that they are quite agitated like I've seen that the conservative community who are Christian absolutely once you start talking to them once they get to know you um, I've seen a complete change in how they behave around someone who is secular when they understand that not all secular people are violent Marxists so I have hope for the culture wars on this side of the fence but what about you what about your side of the fence look it's interesting for, for a lot of people um I'm the first conservative that they ever talk to because there's you know especially within I guess the Twitter world, which is, I guess, mainly where I, I interact with um, people in the atheist community. The Twitter world is, if, if you were to think that was reality, I mean, it's, it's, it's the far left. So there's a, to, to be a conservative in that world, as, as you'd well know, it's almost like you're, you're a pariah, you know, you're seen as this extreme far right, horrible, you know, baby killing evil person. Um, so for a lot of, a lot of people, I guess, approach me with, uh, I guess, a, a, an assumption about um, what I what I think and what I believe. And, and funnily enough, when we actually have conversations, we find that there's a lot that we have in common. I think a lot of people who are on the left are probably closer to the centre than the extreme. But the problem is where the influence is coming from and, and the only voices they're hearing are from the extreme left from that Marxist left, um, you know, telling them that things like, you know, capitalism's bad and, you know, the 1% are ruling everything, you know, not understanding um, the reality of, of how economics works, um, you know, just sort of what, you know, whatever the 20 year old with a placard screams. Hundreds. They haven't, yeah. they haven't evolved their ideas from uh, these very early systems and they have no idea how capitalism really works and how they're able to buy no. their iPhone and why they're allowed to be in their parents' basement of a mansion. They don't, Exactly. Exactly, and I think it's. I always sort of roll my eyes a bit when when people talk about how how bad off they are, especially especially people in the United States. Actually, um, on on the left, talking about how bad it is, you know, how terrible the way they act. You'd think that they were, you know, living in a in a third world country where you know they had no rights and they were, yeah, just virtually in a war zone. And, And and well, I mean. Depending on where you live, there, there has been a few war zones in the US, but that's been caused by the left. Um, I don't think they yeah, realise how good they've got it, though. I mean, there, there are people who are starving in the world. There are people who there, there's a reason that so many people are trying to, you know, cross borders illegally to get into, you know, the United States, you know, Australia. It's because we're good countries with good systems where everyone actually has a really good opportunity to lead a good life. I mean, this is. Out, out of any time in history, I, I think that the best place that 
that you could live is probably modern day Australia because uh, you know the freedoms that we we do have the opportunity we do have and, and but places like the United States are a similar example I mean we're, I'd rather live in the United States than you know 1500s England or you know 1600s Asia or 1700s Africa it's the, the world and, and and Western society is the best that has ever existed and and I hope it just continues to grow because yeah. it, it's it's a really it's a really great place. And, and why you would want to bring in nineteenth century industrial revolution revolutionary ideas from you know a, a crackpot in Germany, um, you know that, that has failed everywhere in the world. I mean, it's communism and Marxism has not succeeded anywhere in the world. I mean, people point to China. I mean, China's had to go to a more capitalist system because they realise that communism doesn't work and uh china doesn't work as well as people think it works it's still massively oh, no. divided between rich and poor and the people who are reasonably mm. wealthy in the middle class in china have no freedom if you don't smile the right way you lose your ability to travel your kids can't go mm. to school you have no job so you are trapped in a prison of your own thoughts and yeah. not only that like xi jinping is not this quiet uh leader he killed tens of thousands of political rivals and their families to get to power and no one well, look, look at what they're doing to the that. The, the Uyghur the Uyghur Muslims. Uh, I mean, look at what's happening to them. It's a, it's an absolute disgrace where they're just rounding people up. And, and I mean, it's okay. Obviously, as an atheist, you know, I I, I don't like Islam at all. Um, I think it's probably one of the most dangerous religions currently in the world, mainly because of the the adherence in in certain regions. Um, religion like communism is where it takes it over the entirety <laughs> of life and your your system, so it, it doesn't stay in a corner and it's not spiritual. It's everything, which is why it is dangerous. But but the way the way that um, the, the Uyghur people in, in China are being treated, it, it's tantamount to genocide. I mean, yeah, have a look at what happened to Tibet. They just went in and completely just destroyed a civilization. This is what they do, and and yeah, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that that all of a sudden we've had this this virus. And I, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy nut here because I'm certainly not one. But I don't think it's a coincidence that this virus suddenly comes out of out of China. Then all of a sudden China's prepared for it, sells things over, you know, to to help all these other countries get out of the virus that came from from there and at the same time quietly moves into Hong Kong and and, and quietly starts making all these these other political moves uh, around the world while I guess everyone's distracted looking at something else that the Chinese well, the one, government is evil yeah the one thing you realize evil. about China is they have a list of plans for things like contingency plans so they have mm. you know 15 or 20 fully fledged plans of if a virus gets out we initiate plan number four and so it looks like it's all mm. scaled so you know I actually think it's probably got out by accident I know they were playing with it but you know the, the lab was decided as dodgy and that's why the Canadians got out of it they actually issued, issued complaints mm. about the state of the lab but as soon as it got out China would have had plans in place of okay well how can we yeah. capitalize on this mistake and off they go and people don't realize that they are well prepared to sacrifice pretty much anything mm. for their final pursuit which well, is to become the global dominant force just just but, just the fact that they they prevented domestic travel but then allowed people to travel overseas knowing that this virus i mean that is not responsible global citizenship i, I don't know chinese person in italy they had that whole campaign oh. about and, and, where, and where was and where was the biggest outbreak initially in europe italy in italy but it's, well, I mean, uh, um, 
Yeah, Nancy Pelosi going to Chinatown to, you know, because racist Donald Trump was stopping, you know, who was closing the borders, you know. It's, I remember when, uh, even in Australia, when when we, the Chinese students were meant to be coming back and, and they were they were saying no or they were sending them offshore to, to quarantine and all, all, the, all the hardcore lefties, oh, it's racist and evil, evil, evil liberal party and, you know, how can they do this? When the reality is... That probably that probably saved us from it being a lot worse than it was. And even in the United States, um, closing the borders at, at, at the time that they did prevented it from being a much worse disaster than it has been. I 100% agree with you. Um, and I'll try and wrap it up soon because I know I've kept you for a while. Um, but I find you, you had an interesting point there back a, a few minutes ago, which was this idea of um, the virus going out and how people reacted to it and this country and this world being the safest it has ever been. I, I have observed that this safety net and this perception of nothing will ever happen to people, the cotton wool helicopter generation of kids, my generation and the generation before it, and to an extent um, my older brother's generation, who's about you know 40, have not had major wars on their home ground. They've not had um, bad pandemics go through. Now, if we look at history, every century we get about six to ten major pandemics that kill a yeah. large percentage of the population. We have wars that used to kill, you know, a third of a town or a village on a, on a semi-regular basis. And so uh, death and our own mortality used to be a big a big deal and people were aware of how, how fragile life was. And even given that, what they used to do was fight for the upholding of their liberties and their political systems because they valued their freedom. They knew what life looked like when you weren't free and how much worse it was. But now, hmm. given how safe we are and how stable our country is, we panicked at the first sign of trouble and gave all of our freedoms away. Um, it was basically just a scratch, not even a Band-Aid wound. And uh, what do you think about that sort of perception of safety having an impact on our uh, sort of misuse hmm. of freedom and we don't seem to care about it? I, I think there needs to be a balance, and I think I think it's a common sense approach. I think things were probably closed down where they didn't need to be, and and there was a little bit of a knee jerk reaction. I guess at the time uh, there there was a lot of unknown, and and I guess I can I can appreciate that. And look, ultimately, I mean, we, we've got a, a situation now where we've we haven't eradicated it, but we, we've really got it under control here, especially when you compare to the rest of the world. Um, I remember when it first came out, um, my family we made the decision that. Even if we didn't like some of the rules, we were just going to to go with it, and and that was our, you know, originally that was what we thought is probably just the best thing to do, and and we followed it all, and and you know did the best we could. I, I think if they were to try and enforce a lockdown on us now, though, I think I would have a, a fairly different opinion and stance on it because I think it's. I don't think lockdowns work. Um, I, I I feel so sorry for the people in Victoria. I mean, what happened in Victoria was just it, it was a. It was, it was an overreach. Uh, half at the moment of the business, small business community in Victoria have been wiped out. These are family businesses mm. that are three and four generations long. They reckon about two-thirds of them will end up being wiped out by the time this is done. And I know hundreds of families who have lost everything they've ever worked for. All their staff are basically looking at losing their houses. Mm -hmm. And it's when you get past the, um, the public face of it all, the actual trauma and tragedy that's gone on is extraordinary and we won't see it properly laid out until after this it's, federal government's got panning out money. Then we'll see it's going to last then, for years. Yeah, then we'll see what really happened. And when you lose your entire life's work, your own work, not working for somebody else, but your own business that you built and your savings wiped mm. out and you can't start again, 
that will lead to longer mental health issues and possibly fatal issues in the next 10 to 15 years where people cannot mm. simply can't cope with what happened to them. And oh, there's absolutely. not really yeah. enough discussion about, or there wasn't enough care about what that would actually lead to and happen. Is when they were judging risk, mm. they didn't think about how fragile our yeah. systems were. And what there, there probably there probably wasn't enough time for for a lot of planning when it came to that. And um, I, I've only actually just recently stepped down as the the president of um, one of the the chambers of commerce down here in the Illawarra. Um, but I've I've got it's I, I've sort of sat on business advisory boards and, and for for the region and. I have had a lot of conversations with a lot of, especially small to medium business owners. Uh, a lot of them are suffering. Um, a lot of them don't see a path back. I mean, even for myself, um, my, my business was digital marketing um, and we dealt exclusively with with pubs, clubs uh, and restaurants. So you can imagine that uh, one day I had a, a thriving business and the next day I didn't have a single client because they were all forced to shut down. And even even now as they're, they're reopening, the, the financial impact, that it's had on a lot of these businesses, uh, especially once the the, the handouts stop, um, it, it's going to be something that lasts for for quite a long time. Um, yeah, well, politically, and, that, and that's and that's where my point was sorry. that our demographics are changing culturally. So if we're going to be yeah. culture warriors, we're going to have a a large group of people who either don't have jobs or don't have homes and are relying on the state, and a state that mm. has now been empowered. And we've got a young group of people, a large group of voting people who are basically Marxists who are going to encourage ministers to become more and more left-wing, big state, um, nationalising certain industries and not instead of restoring our status quo before and trying to rebuild the small business environment. As a culture warrior, yeah. have, you, have you thought about that or tried to deal with that? Like how is the conservative community going to come forward together and be like, we can't... You can't let the country descend into a banana republic with a massive nationalised system. How do we encourage the conservative community to go the other way toward putting back what we had before and trying to support that way? See, where I think we're lucky on our side of politics is we're reasonably united. Um, I'm seeing a lot of parallels on the left at the moment to about 100 years ago when there was the big split in the Labor Party. Um, during the, during the First World War, um, funnily enough, just before the other pandemic, where what happened was the the far left, or who were the, the very open communists, had, had essentially infiltrated um, the, the party and, and it led to a split and, and the party didn't recover for years and years to come. The same thing's happening now because you've got these far left-wing groups that have infiltrated um, you know, the Labor Party. And, and look, I've, I've never been a Labor supporter, but... I, it pains me to see what's going on with them at the moment because you've got some very sensible people, um, I think, in the labour movement who are just being shouted down by, you know, the woke crowd who who think it's more important to, you know, green well, they, to, they to support green policies. They, they raised a whole group of, of green children in order to um, get them to... Uh, support Labor, and all they did was create an actual group of far-left radicals who yeah. don't support Labor. They support what they taught them to as children, and they yeah. created it. Fault, but now they've got to deal with it. And and you know what? That's their problem. They they've they've bought that on themselves. Um, and good luck to them. Whereas I see on the right side of politics, one thing we're very good at is we don't eat each other alive. Which the the left will will eat each other alive at any opportunity. Whereas 
we can have conversations with each other. And I mean, you have a look at um, the, the modern Liberal Party. Uh, I mean, when you, you've got um, a party that can contain, I guess to give two examples, so George Christensen and Malcolm Turnbull, um, and and still, have, you know, they, those views. Uh, I, I think that says a lot about. Um, where we're at on our side of politics. And I, I think we're going to be okay. I, I can't see any possibility of a, of a Labor government in the next 10 years. We've got more problems than you think. I go to not, not as not, not as many as there I, are on I the left, though. events and everything. And over mm. there, not only do the Liberals, most Liberal senators refuse to come to an event like CPAC, which is meant to be the meeting of all the conservative minds in mm. Australia. That's the whole point of it. Um, they get booed when they're mentioned on stage because of how far toward particularly Greens policies with mm. renewables and their attitude to China. There's definitely mm. a problem with some of the Liberals who appear to be ignoring their base, just like Labor ignores their working class base. A lot of Liberals but, are but we, ignoring... But we still, we still get on with it, though. We it's Because you've got to remember, and I, I like that what John Howard said about the Liberal Party being, you know, it's, it's a... A, um, a broad church, you know, of um, of conservatives and liberals, and I, I think that is the case. And and look, there's certainly some people within the party who are to Matthew. the definitely to the left of, um, you know, of, of what I think. And I, I I'm not saying anything, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, but sorry, look, there, and there, there are there are some interesting views in there. But uh, but I think what we what we got to do we we keep it behind closed doors, and even where we disagree on something. We still find a way to, to work with each other and come. We, we don't always get our own way. And, you know, sometimes the Conservative won't get their own way against the more Liberal member of, of, of the, you see, the I, movement. I wish we went back to the, the politics was designed to be an open forum of discussion and debate, including inside its own politics. So mm. I miss the days where uh, of the sort of Winston Churchill era when you saw parties actually have it out with each other as far as trying to get to the best solution for a point. So much. Uh, is the case these days where politicians either have no clue what they're talking about and have no interest in finding out because as long as they hold their position, they're happy. Mm. Or they will just bend and bow to whatever their mate says who's got more more power in the area so that as mm. long as they can continue to hold their seat and get supported um, for the next election. And I, I don't like the way that Australia is going towards this bench-sitting politics where everyone is the same cardboard cutout um, for the mm. safety of elections because they're frightened of the press. But um, I think we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. But we're running out of time. So, look, I'm going to uh, ask you the question I actually warned you about, and I hope you give me yes. the answer. Um, look, if you could have dinner with anybody in history, um, it, live or dead, mm -hmm. who would it be and, and why would you do it? You know what? I, I've, I've been struggling and I've had two in my head. And and I really can't sort of differentiate between them. So you're going to get you're going to get two from me. So they're, they're two very different ones. The first one is the uh, the, the Roman poet Catullus. Um, he he wrote some interesting love poetry. Um, he also uh, I think he would have been great on Twitter because he he wrote some uh, some fairly um, scathing rebuttals to some friends of his. He he died young. But from from what I can read, I think he would have been a really really interesting person to to have dinner and drinks with. I, I think it would have been a good night. Um, but I guess um, the the Australian historian in me um, says that probably Billy Hughes. Um, 
who was uh, for those who aren't Australian, he was a, a Prime Minister of Australia during the um, the First World War. Uh, why why I'd be interested in having dinner with Billy Hughes is I'd love to get his take on what's going on with the Labor movement at the moment because he famously split from or split the Labor Party and then split from the Labor Party to to start the United Australia Party and then eventually um, what became the the Liberal Party. So I, I'd be very interested to to get his take on on what's going on at the moment. Well, thank you. That's absolutely fascinating. And those are great answers that you gave. And I'm sure people will be having a look at your poet. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, people can follow you online. And do you want to, Spruik, where where can we follow you online? Uh, Absolutely. So on Twitter, at atheist underscore pastor, or on YouTube, it's just youtube.com forward slash atheist pastor. Yeah, come and have a look. And doesn't cost you anything to subscribe. Well, I encourage everyone to go and check him out and uh, listen to his fascinating discussions. Well, thank you very much for being on the show and uh, good luck with your culture warrior. Uh, thank you. Get your pitchfork and off you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Fighting the good fight. Thank you for joining us on Curtain Call. We are hosted by The Good Source, the home of conservative and libertarian voices. Help us fight fake news by following us online. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all good podcasting services. If you enjoy this content, please like and subscribe.